Welcome, everybody, to the Covenant Podcast with your host, Matt Sartrek, and myself, Peter Fendera. This is a podcast where we tackle current health news and hot nursing topics, one conversation at a time. Thank you for tuning in on, on this lovely evening or day or a.m., p.m., whatever time it is in your coastal area or coastal city, or it can be in the Midwest where it's all prairies. It's all good. doesn't matter. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you guys for subscribing to our YouTube. Make sure you give us five likes or five stars on Spotify. Make sure you keep liking our videos on YouTube. You know, the vlogs out that's coming out weekly. It used to be on Mondays. Now we kind of do it on any kind of day of the week, but it's still weekly there. Patreon coming soon. Give us like two or three more weeks, and it's going to be over there. Promise it's going to happen. We do have some stuff there right now, but it's our low-key stuff. We're having some great stuff for you guys. How's it going, Matthew? Good. I'm enjoying this San Diego sun before we head out. And I have these... um. Espresso shots over here. Yeah, two little mugs or coffee cups, I would say. We're about to check out. Like, we're like, we have like 30 minutes to check out. So, we're going to record this on the go. So, in this episode, we're going to talk about cardiac arrests and their correlation with C19. We're going to dive into the alkyne diet and see what the research shows. And also, a few studies that we looked up into protein pump inhibitors, whether they're actually more damaging than beneficial. Find out. You shall, you shall. It's interesting. We've been like debunking a lot of these medications that they've been prescribing over the years. It's kind of fun because you hear something that people people tend to think one way, correct? And this is just a way of thinking. And we never look back and maybe challenge the status quo. Mm. Just like, you know, these PPIs. They came out, I don't know, X amount of years ago. And we've still been putting patients on them for GERD and everything else. Hey, what if the research has changed? Why don't we do something different? Well, we just kind of continue doing the same thing. And we're here kind of to debunk things and maybe help you guys think a different way or do a different treatment modality for the sake of, you know, longevity and health benefits. Yeah, with like meds, you guys think take into consideration where it's just like still a continuous research study, right? Because if like a medication takes three to four years to produce, you only have like three to four years of that data, right? You could generally modify like animals to be older than, than, you know, their actual age and things like that. So you can kind of see how age affects the medication or how the medication affects age or progression over time but if like a medication has been out for you know 10 years and you know we're not looking back at the research that's been going on for 10 years of these long-term effects then ultimately we're not going to know because once it gets approved by like the FDA or all the other organizations that approve these medications guess what they're not going to really look back at it especially if it's like negative negative effects if it's just like borderline negative effects no one's going to really really say anything about it. Especially if there's profit involved. Exactly, because these companies make billions and billions of dollars and it's just like, if an adverse effect comes out, that hey, if you take PPIs or if you take statins for greater than eight years, you have a higher risk of developing this, then no one's gonna really wanna take it, right? And that kind of defeats the purpose of that medication. Because these medications are supposed to essentially make you live longer, right? It's supposed to be a healthier part of your life. As long as the benefits outweigh the risks. Correct, and correct. That's not true for everything that we see in the, in the hospital. Like, you know, like look at the um, heart attack prevention, correct? When you come in for a STEMI, they used to give them Plavix all the damn time. Mm. Now evidence shows that Plavix is not as effective and they use Berlinta instead. But how long did Clopidogrel Plavix stay on the, you know, the, um, the what's it called? The protocol for MIs. Mm-hmm. This is great. Food for thought. Yeah. All right, guys, so you know how we do it. Got the C19 numbers first for y'all. So total global cases, we have 65.5 million with about 1.5 million deaths. Here in the United States, we have about 14.5 million cases of C19 with about 282,000 deaths. But let that not hold you back from over 8.5 million recoveries. 
leading the charge with the cases of Texas. Not something to be proud of, but, you know, leading the charge. Texas, then we have California, Florida, Illinois, and then New York. I'm surprised Texas is, is number one, if you think about it, because you like the... I wonder which which uh, cities are the like the top five biggest cities or top ten biggest cities, and where are they located? Because I figured most of them are going to be in California. Like, New York is for sure They're up very there. Dense, yeah. yeah, L.A., Chicago, and I'm not sure what's super big in Texas. Austin, maybe? I, makes I, sense, right? Yeah, I'm not going to talk out of my ass, you know? Yeah, yeah, respect. So, first topic we have for you guys is drug overdose during C-19. So, looked over some research, some some study samples, because obviously this is, is going to be tracked. So, overdose-related cardiac arrests rose sharply during April 2020, reaching 74.1 per 100,000 EMS activations. So, basically... According to EMS stats, the occurrence of cardiac arrests due to overdose rose more than 100%. So it, like, it doubled. That was just in April. And of course, you know, it was higher in, in May as well. And same with, with August and those months, but wasn't substantially as high as 123% in So when you look at it, it's 53.7% above in baseline overall. in July mm. overall, which is still things to ask yourselves right whether it's worth it to lock down a whole population and allow them to do do these kind of things compared to just having deaths with um with c19 it's it's such a freaking hard balance for me to figure out you know like there's no right or wrong but it's definitely it's definitely not talked about in the news i feel like and like with what's happening like this like there's mm. probably spouse abuse domestic abuse i saw batteries happening and maybe it could be a lot about unreported too because how much times do you have abusive spouse not saying anything? And, but this is related to like overdose. Correct. Like correct. Rest, yeah. But I'm just trying to like correlate the story whether the lockdown is worth it compared to having all these drug overdoses and everything else that's happening. Mm, okay. Yeah. So trying to guess, see why it's why it's um so much higher. Um, right? Yeah, I'm looking at the big picture, mm. and we're gonna dive into drug overdoses. Yeah. It's it's truly sad. Yeah, and if like so, like these numbers aren't just like a like a one month thing. They actually took numbers. From April to to August, so that's a that's what four months. Or June, April, May, June, July, August. Yeah, four months. You just woke up. I gotta make sure this is, this is correct. So so like the four month average, it's still forty percent higher than, than than the base on what they they expect, and that's kind of crazy to look at because if you would think like if everyone's staying home, you know can't can't go to to places, can't see the drug dealer, well, wouldn't these these numbers supposed to drop? But there's like other things you gotta take into consideration. Like like Matt said, there's People are staying at, at home more, you know, there's possible abuse, abuse going on, but directly correlated to like overdoses is people are staying home, right? So if you think about it, instead of being home, for, let's say you get off work at five, instead of being home from 6 p.m. till till midnight and you go to sleep, you literally have an access to these drugs through the whole day. Yeah. Because you don't have to go to the office. So guess what? If you wanted to buy some drugs at, at 10 a.m., you, you can, right? Because at 10 a.m., you would normally be in the office, but now since C19 is happening, you're, you can't go to work, right? Not only, yeah. Not only that, but another perspective I have on this is like, you know, you're at home and you just like get into a bad habit of something, but you could break that habit by going on a vacation, new environment or something. You're in the same stimuli continuously. And after, let's just say we're more prone to be negative thinkers. Well, if you're stuck in a damn house for that long and continually to think that negatively, like it's only going to have a bigger in, impact on you daily and then you don't start realizing your habits, and then it leads to these kind of things. Mm. Not including social isolation, masks, we have social distancing, which of course is preventing the spread of infection, but in this case, it's ruining human connection. 
and we need human connection. We need to communicate. Like I don't, I don't think virtually is enough to have that same like effect. I would say. But I think that ties down to overdoses. Overdoses. Yeah. Social isolation. Like, isn't depression, anxiety, and all that related to like depression related to loneliness? So more people, are, you believe that more people are depressed that they're leaving. So more people are you're saying more people are depressed because they're more socially isolated. So they're reaching for more drugs because of that. So. That is my, yes, so that's my opinion, but also remember how we interviewed Alex and she said that suicides tend to go down during crisis because people like band together, mm. like 9-11, correct? Supposedly there was a lot less suicides because people band together for this one common cause of fighting terrorism. Yeah, we, we can't band together for, for C-19 because we gotta be isolated, right? I feel, I feel like we did from like March to April, right? But then this says there's more cardiac arrest related to drug overdoses. Yeah. So so it's yeah. So it's like I'm giving an opinion, but like the results are showing something different. And the, the, the episode with like um with Alex who talked about suicide. It seems like it should be down as well. Yeah. But I don't think the there was no evidence when we were talking with her. So we should definitely follow up and see. Yeah. So that makes sense what you said because like you said like during 9/11, uh, like the during, um, what was it? when we had the issues with, with Russia, the Cold War. Sure. Yeah, there's probably less suicide because, like I said, people were able to unite, unity, they're able to get together. But here, you know, this is a crisis going on, but guess what? This is a different kind of crisis which requires social isolation. So you don't have that kind of support that you naturally have. And people don't have that, that support, especially people that are depressed or, um, you know, don't have things figured out and they have nobody to talk to, nobody to kind of grasp onto. That's what I think is leading to more drug overdoses because Let's say, you know, you're depressed, you're sad, and all your emotions are anger, frustration, and you're almost numb to all the other positive emotions, right? So what are you going to reach for? Probably drugs to, to kind of numb you all even more. Yeah. You know, obviously some people have the purpose of or intention of overdosing and killing themselves, but majority of people that overdose don't have that intention, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing, right? And j just like you said, like, it's harder to catch these people before they overdose mm -hmm. because they're isolated at home. They're not reaching for the phone and calling someone and saying, hey, I'm going to do this. They just end up committing you yeah, know, that could be a suicide yeah. or doing a drug overdose and having cardiac arrest yeah, that could be a big thing too because when you think of like drugs you think of partying you know everyone's in a group doing some kind of a drug like rock on bro we want a boat yeah right like, like doing all that kind of shit and then they overdose and somebody sees an overdose and then they call the ambulance and they, and they save them in time right before you know cardiac arrest hits yeah you know, I'll, here, I'll have one more theory too when you're done yeah, here it's just like there's nobody really really there and you just pass out and you go to cardiac arrest or you know, if something happens, you choke on your, you know, saliva or your vomit and nobody's there to, to see you do this and you essentially die. So I'm guessing it's definitely full, for sure multifactorial. Yeah. And all, and also like social media, correct? I like we like we touch a lot about this, but I think it's more and more of a growing problem that we're not realizing is, you know, how these algorithms are feeding you your truth, correct? Yeah. In order to keep you on a platform, they have to keep giving you the same information that that like makes you stay on. Yeah, so because then I'll it explain real quick. Purpose. Yeah, so I'm not sure if you guys heard an episode prior, maybe two or three episodes ago where we talked about social media and stuff. So like when you go on Facebook or, or Instagram or any kind of social media platform, they don't feed you the newest post or whatever the newest thing is. They, they feed you what the AI thinks you're gonna want to look at. So you're necessarily not always seeing something new, you're seeing something that's already being geared towards you. Yeah. You know, and we and Matt actually did a little, little experiment where we both took our phones and then we switched Switched our Facebook. phones on Facebook, and we have similar friends, right? So ideally, theoretically, you would expect that if you refresh the page, you'd have a new post up there first, right? But that didn't happen. We got fed something that's already in our interest. So that kind of shows how social media can, can skew 
your opinion and kind of skew your views on, on basically what you want to see consistently and always making you think you're right because you want to feel like you're right, you know, yeah. like say, especially politics. Now we had the election come up. Like, if you're a major Joe Biden fan, you're going to see a lot of news geared towards Joe Biden's probably going to win. This is how Joe Biden's going to win. You're going you're gonna to be like, yeah, yeah, he's going to win because I think he's going to win. I'm right. You know, yeah. they, they, um, they play with your ego a little bit. They do. That's kind of what do. Matt was talking about. And like to, uh, to piggyback off that, so now if you have this platform that majority of people go on to consume information, now it's filtered, this algorithm's continuously feeding you the way you want to be fed, right? Because it's like a bubble. So you're all living in these little, what do you call them? Social bubbles in a way. Yeah. And now you have somebody that's maybe depressed, thinking about doing drugs, having negative thoughts. Now he's being fed the same information through Facebook. You just feel entrapped. Mm -hmm. You feel completely isolated and you are being this, fed the same thoughts and like, shit, what else, what are you gonna do? How are you gonna stop this crazy, screaming, evil voice in your mind or w whatever happens leading to you wanting to overdose so much? Right, and then all that stuff becomes a norm and you're just like, yeah, well, this is how life is supposed to be. And it's really not, it's just you're getting fed this, this idea of how you're supposed to feel and, and all this and you can't really, really own it to yourself or you can't really figure it out yourself how to feel, how to do certain things and, and social media just puts you in like a little trap. It, it, yeah. Sad, sad, and I and I I think we're gonna look back at social media and there's gonna be books written about it, and we're gonna be like, whoa, this was the era, the phase that we had, you know, the social media era, the social media era, just like you know we talk about, you know, depression and kids and bullying. But yeah, another topic. So next um, discussion is: Is there any evidence of an alkine pH diet which would benefit health? It sounds really good on paper, right? Mm, it sounds really good. That, oh, hey, you know, a lot, lot, lot of things that I've heard and I believed as well is make sure your pH is alkaline, you're eating alkaline foods because it prevents cancer. Cancer can't thrive in that environment. That's been the big stigma. Uh, I looked at a review article here by Gary K. Schvallenberg from University of Alberta, shout out to Canada. And he kind of did a review on whether this actually works. So. Life on Earth really depends on pH, right? Everything is always in a balance. All organisms and cells have a specific one. Our human body tightly co controls that as well. If you look at our blood pH, which we look at a lot in the hospital, it's usually between seven, the ideal 7.4, and it's anywhere between 7.35, 7.45. And as you know, if you're metabolic acidosis, respiratory alkalosis, we're going to do different things to balance that because you want to be back in equilibrium. So just to give you guys some ideas here, like different pHs and what they do. So the skin, it has a pH between four and 6.5. What is, what's the function of the pH? It protects you from microbes. If you look at our urine, it's 4.6 to eight. Why do we have a pH that low? It limits overgrowth of microbes. If you look at our gastric system, it's 1.35 to 3.5. Why do we have such a low pH? It breaks down protein. If you look at like bile and our pancreatic fluid, it's actually alkaline, it's 8.8 .8 because it neutralizes stomach acids and digestion. So we have a lot of benefits from different pHs, you know, not necessarily, you know, like we think that we need a positive pH all the time, but our stomach, it needs to be negative to, you know, complete its task in a way and its, its function. So why, and we're going to get into PPIs, right? Why yeah. distribute that or take that body off equilibrium? You know what I first thought when we brought up this this topic to talk about is I, I was like this is probably something um, that's probably gonna work because naturally our body is more alkalotic 7.35 7.45 right it's a tad bit above you know um, seven you know 
So me thinking like, hey, if our body naturally thrives in like a more alkaline environment, then maybe an alkaline diet might have some might have some uh, impact and some kind of health benefits. Health benefits as a basis to kind of go off. Of. But um, as we'll explain a little further, you know, it's not you know anything anything crazy. But what I really found interesting is when you found the sodium and potassium uh, ratio, right? So actually, it's pota- yeah, the ratio with potassium and sodium. So back years ago our our potassium and sodium ratio was 10 to 1 where now the diet that we eat the ratio is 1 to 3 so it flipped for being 10 times more potassium than sodium in our blood to being three times more sodium than potassium in our blood and we could blame that due to like the agricultural revolution Mm -hmm. that's been happening for the past 200 years the way we industrialize everything our soils so we've basically decreased the intake of potassium and it increased sodium, which makes sense. Our shelf life, everything wants to maintain longer, and it's been, it's been, it's been having negative impacts, right? So, normally our pH in the blood won't change much. It's strictly regulated. But if there's any benefit in this alkaline diet, one of which is your urine pH. So if you tend to have a more alkaline diet, you will reduce calcium in the urine. So those people out there listening that are maybe th- your family has kidney stones or you're prone to getting kidney stones, hopping in, hopping on an alkyne diet is actually going to prevent the ca- concentration in calcium urine, yeah. which in return will probably prevent kidney stones. Mm. Um, but there's really no like substantial evidence out there that's going to say, hey, that alkyne diet is going to help with bone health or that it's going to protect you from osteoporosis. Mm. No, but urine wise, kidney stone, yes. I wonder how the ratio that I mentioned before, the potassium and sodium ratio, how if that, we obviously know it has changed substantially over time and actually flipped, right? I wonder how that influences cardiac disease. Uh, It's for sure gonna impact it because like, I think having a better ratio, what I was reading in this article actually prevents strokes and hypertension. Mm -hmm. So for some reason we have a too much influx of sodium, it somehow is gonna affect the cardiac vascular system. I don't have that like exact detail, well, I would love to get into this more, this um, like imbalance that we have and how it affects strokes, hypertension, and like, let's just say plaque. Mm. And even different arrhythmias, because we are we have low potassium, lower potassium than we used to, right? Yes. So I wonder if, if the likelihood of AFib, different arrhythmias, are people getting pacemakers more? Are people getting put on, you know, anticoagulation more just because they're with low potassium? Well, you are at risk of developing kidney disease with this um, imbalance for mm-hmm. sure. So we are, I mean, if you look at like, you know, if you're driving around, you see a lot of dialysis, the Vita clinics and all that other stuff. So I wonder how that correlates. I'm not sure. I, I know it's not the one all be all like this is the cause, right? Just like we say, it's usually a factor of things. Yeah. But this is definitely probably one of them because it induces metabolic acidosis, which is a mismatch in your body. And genetically, we are meant to have different nutritional requirements because we're hunter and gatherers and now our diet is less magnesium, potassium, fiber, more rich in saturated fats, simple sugars, sodium, which clearly is, you know, showing an imbalance. Yeah, yeah that's some crazy stuff to think about. But we could, yeah, like if you look at with dialysis, there has been a giant increase in dialysis clinics. Like when, when you were like 12 years old, 15 years old, 10 years ago, like there was not this prevalent. Yep. Here it's just you drive every other block, you see some kind of dialysis clinic. So. Definitely, something's definitely going off their kidneys. It's not, I don't think it's just because people are living longer. It has to be some kind of more of an underlying cause. I'm sure it's more than one one of these causes. There's, like I said before, it's just going to be multifactorial, just like majority of things are. But what if this 
this ratio is one of the causes and no one really is addressing this ratio flip they're just trying to to treat the symptoms yeah i would love to like get into like different countries and how kidney mm. disease is like you know being affected but one quick search is um chronic kidney disease ckd actually affects 10 percent of the world population it's a big so 10 percent is a lot yeah so it's, de it's definitely something that's been recently changed if you know it's such a rise mm. uh, another it cannot be due to age it know? cannot be a lot of people say yeah we're living longer so we're more predisposed to certain things now because we're not supposed to we're not naturally programmed to live this long but you know we as we evolve we naturally program our systems right so we're gonna eventually learn how to how to live longer right so it's, with that it's gonna come like increase amount of diseases and maybe do different diseases but it's our job to kind of figure out what is changing in our natural you could say living process or our natural process of like you could say dying too and kind of figure out what's changing as you live longer and hit those yeah so figure out what's changing instead of just hitting the symptoms figure out why exactly people are getting chronic kidney disease right is it the, the diet that's trying to change that you know you know the, you know the, the sad truth or is people, it's business the, this yeah long story short yeah but yeah the, the truth is is that there's no money to be made in the questions that we're asking we're, we're asking legit questions that have no motives of profit correct i think there is it's just a lot harder to do than a pill yeah and that, a treatment option and plus like you know that company is going to make a lot more money off you what's it called um, long-term being on dialysis sure. than you having a healthy diet and you know doing all that yeah. there's just more motives of financial things you know just like if you look at uh we looked up recently the the top 20 pills that are prescribed by pharmaceutical companies and pills that people are consuming mm. not out of the top 20 i don't think we saw one vitamin on there how, okay. how come a vitamin is not prescribed as a top 20 like treatment modality mm. for something yet it's all these other pills yeah potassium was on there potassium but it was like number like 30 something yeah food for thought yeah. um alkyne diets and muscles so maybe if you're somebody that's very competitive does a lot of running and you want to optimize yourself so alkyne diets have a tend to reduce acid load acid load so that's going to result resolve in uh, preservation of muscle mass when you're usually older but it does have benefits where it prevents muscle wasting so if you're trying to be like some kind of runner doing marathons or who knows food for thought maybe an alkyne diet will help you prevent from being like ass sore mm. but you still have you know lactic acid and all that so that yeah there's not like direct correlations but some of the health benefits that were described in a study which is of course improving the potassium na ratio right so 10 to 1 to 3 to 1 that's going to benefit in bone health reducing muscle wasting it's going to help uh, prevent chronic diseases just like hypertension and strokes mm. so that's what the study found i'm not sure about the mechanic mechanism of action mm. but for sure this this um ratio is going to lower your blood pressure as as um outlined here i'm curious if we do i'm just like thinking in my head right now if we do like less topics for these episodes and then do more in depth you know because we feel like we breach this like we just scrub the surface a little bit on these just because we try to get away three 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 like uh topics for these news I wonder if we maybe just do one one giant one, but I feel that might be kind of boring. Yeah, because then what if somebody doesn't want to hear about a diet True. for 45 minutes? Now we have three different segments. But we can talk about diet for like two hours. We can, man. I love this shit. Yeah. I, could, I could talk about it right now. Let's yeah. go. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, yeah. Another thing with benefiting uh, from alkyne diet is it actually increases growth hormone. Hmm. So that may actually improve outcomes for cardiovascular health, memory, cognition. We know it's a freaking important 
uh, hormone. So, you know, I'm curious to the now that you bring that up is alkaline dieting and like weightlifting. I wonder how, how if that has an, an effect. Well, we'd have to look, yeah, we'd have to look at what's it called? Some studies. The muscle wasting and how it actually gets reduced. Mm. What growth hormone could do. Because growth hormone is not only for muscle building. It's for, you know, different Everything. things like memory, cognition, mm. um, muscle building actually too. Yeah, sex hormones, all that basically plays, 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 a, plays a role. But yeah, because first you have to go down, find a mechanism of action and how if that changes the production or secretion or absorption of growth hormone, right? Let's figure out how that even is related to. So how does an alkalinic environment benefit uh, growth hormone? Yeah. That's been too cool to look at. We should probably look, look, look at that because I guarantee you, if I find a, a few studies that say, hey, increased growth hormone linked to alkaline diets, Matt's going to hop on his alkaline diet tr trend and then in two weeks we're going to have a why you should do an alkaline diet. Yeah, but I like... Oh, forget, like, like our keto phase. But I like eggs way too much, man. Like... I cannot give up eggs. I just, I love to eat them. And they're actually acidic foods. Well, you so probably don't have to give up all of them. So is milk. Yeah, you probably have to give up all Oh, yeah. It's like a majority. Of our, yeah, we eat acid as fuck. We're yeah. probably always acidotic. Our, our cells have learned to thrive in an acidic environment. All we do is eat meat, a lot of red meat, seafood, some chicken. Then we eat eggs, a lot of cheese. I've been making those juices, the, the healthy ones, like, you know, with um, blended mm -hmm. fruits and vegetables. Are all vegetables uh, more alkalotic? I cannot believe you're asking me this question. Of course they're more alkalotic. No, but I'm saying are all of them more alkalotic? Is there like more acidotic vegetables is what I'm asking. Oh, I'm sure there is. Like a lemon. Lemon is a fruit acidic. Though. Yeah. A vegetables. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure there is something. You know? Because what if we're eating some vegetables, but more of our, most vegetables are considered acid, like acidic? We'll, we'll look into it and then we'll do another podcast about changing yeah. up the diet. And then what if... 2021, cup of nurse's diet. Yeah. This is what we're doing. It'll be crazy if like we have alkalotic vegetables but by blending them and making them a juice they turn acidotic what if it releases some kind of a fucking protein i mean it, it does happen for example we should buy some mice for, for, for example if you have a juicer correct mm -hmm. if you are really into juicing there are centrifuge juicers and there's the one with the auger correct? cold press right cold, cold, press cold press one you want a cold press because it actually doesn't destroy the cell wall with a centrifuge it cuts everything including the plant cell wall and when it does that all those minerals and vitamins are open to air and air actually oxidizes it and, and destroys some of those nutrients and micronutrients. So maybe it does make it acidotic if you think about it because if you're just like breaking these cell membranes and I believe the the cellular, the what's that fluid called in the cell? Intracellular fluid. Intracellular fluid, isn't that more, a little bit more acidotic? It is. It is, so what if we're chopping up these cells while we're, we're uh, making the juice and it just becomes an acidotic environment everywhere? Who knows, and It takes man. away all those, those alkalotic benefits. A lot of great thoughts, P. I think this coffee is really working on you. you know Dude, this saying? this is legit coffee, yeah. guys. We're drinking the world's strongest coffee is what it's quoted. I really like the brand. Two cups. Last benefit from the alkyne diet, it actually improves intracellular magnesium, which actually helps with a lot of enzyme systems, one of which we need adequate magnesium levels to properly activate vitamin D. And vitamin D has numerous health benefits that we talked about on the podcast, including immunity, amongst other things, preventing C19. So... I know that I was reading reading research that we're very deficient in one, of course, vitamin D, but also magnesium. Mm. So, and the last, last thing is that alkyne diets might have some benefits for chemotherapeutic agents that require a higher pH, one of which is uh, a chemo drug called epirubicin. That's um, usually this chemo drug is given to anybody that has a brain tumor or any kind of tumor resection, so that's given. So all in all, we can't really prove that alkyne diets work, but we know that it um, has 
some benefit to the you know listed topics above like growth hormone and preventing the KNA ratio which might reduce just like we said hypertension and strokes other than that there's really no crazy benefit and there's really no negative effects from eating too much cheese and milk based on this because our blood pH is such strictly regulated only thing you might watch out for is kidney stones I'm sure it has some more some benefit too for people that are kind of like on the edge of the bell curve so if like I said, if you're on certain medication that that call for ask for a more alkaline environment, yeah, this is gonna be gonna be beneficial. But for the majority of the pub of the bu public, I would say the public. So majority of the public, this is not something that is going to be widely beneficial. And if you do try to do an alkaline diet and you're coming from like a normal US diet, it's gonna be hard to transition. Yeah. And the majority of your benefits you're gonna see when you transition from this normal diet that you're eating to an alkaline diet, you're gonna see most of these benefits coming from the elimination of certain foods. This is gonna call for elimination of like certain processed foods, a lot, a lot of those kind of foods, a lot of sugars, a lot of saturated fats, things like that, that you know might be a little bit more detrimental than, than the vegetables and fruits. So just you by switching over to a different healthy diet, that's gonna be the majority of change, not necessarily because of, its, because of it being alkalotic. Let's hold it here, look, I switch out the biter real quick. Again, because we got one more thing and that's it. So when you hear it, and then I'll hop into PPIs real quick and then yeah. we'll fucking call it a day. Like 10 minutes and we're done, if that even. Because <laughs> 17% lasted like a solid 15 minutes. You think so? Because I, I swear it was 10, like 10, 10 when we started. All right, let's just go into PPIs. Uh, we dead? Yeah, would have been a good fucking episode. This would have been a good part for um, for YouTube or not YouTube but Instagram, I think. Talking about PPIs. You want to cut the episode then? Make it early. You could just do two today and use PPIs. Yeah, yeah it's fine. So you want to just summarize? Oh, we already kind of summarized PPIs. Yeah, we just missed the ending, but that's okay. We could talk about so cheese. We could talk about this whole cheese thing, and because there's um, it doesn't really affect phosphates, which really benefits bone health. But so it doesn't it doesn't like mess up the calcium balance, but because of growth hormone it actually might increase osteocalcin. I talked about osteocalcin right now. Mm -hmm. If you wanna yeah, so this is a little bit more in depth that I looked up. Yep. So you wanna finish, you wanna end it here then? We could just, yeah. We could next talk, episode. We could talk about that. And we're gonna save PPIs, but we next. did save PPIs. We're gonna talk about PPIs fucking already in the episode in the beginning. Yeah, I, we just this is fucking finish it with PPIs. Let's just finish it. Yeah. So no camera, just talk? Yeah, that's what we're gonna have to do. Okay. Fortunately, okay. So PPIs, guys, this is the next topic we wanna hit. And like a lot of these medications, like we said in the beginning of the episode, is yeah, these medications get approved, but we don't really see the super long-term effects of these medications until it's like five, 10, 15 years away. Like look at it as asbestos, right? That used to be put in our walls. People used to breathe it in, no big deal. Nobody thought it was worrisome. And guess what? People are developing, developing mesothelioma from it yeah. 20, 30 years down the line. And who would have known, right? Which are lawyer commercials now. Exactly. You, you wouldn't have known it, right? So it, it could be similar to medication. This has, I'm not saying it, it could be because it has happened before with certain medication. Medications have been taken off the market because of severe negatory, negative, damaging. Like Certain meds can, can kill you. Yeah. Now we, and we wouldn't have known that if we didn't approve it and if it hasn't been like 10, 15 years of... Of dosages. Of solid testing, yeah. yeah. And, one, and the perfect example is PPIs, right? Protein pump inhibitors. So they work by inhibiting your stomach cells from pumping too much acid into your stomach. 
use as medication to prevent GERD usually, acid reflux. You know, that acid reflux is backing up to, into the sphincter and you feel that burning sensation when you eat something, when you wake up, when you're consuming caffeine. So what do you do? You take Tums or PPS to prevent that. But little do we know that we're messing up the stomach acid pH. And we, as we know, it's super, super low. Why does it have to be low? Because it breaks down protein. So if there's an inability to break down these protein because we're making a more alkaline environment from PPIs, what's going to happen? Tell them 15 minutes. We'll be done. So when we're looking into these PPIs and these long-term effects, there wasn't a giant amount of research with this, but the amount of research that, that we've seen and that we dug through, basically the most common adverse issues that have been linked with long-term PPI use are an increased risk for fracture, pneumonia, C. diff, and iron and vitamin B deficiencies. So when you think of stomach acid, you think of it breaking down food, inhibiting absorption, you know, promoting absorption of certain 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 things and then decreasing absorption of other, other things, right? So you're gonna have an idea of if there's a change in, in stomach acid balance, it's gonna affect those things, right? It's kind of obvious to, to say if you're dealing with stomach acid, right? So fracture risk, the first one. So there have been some studies that show that PPIs increase the risk of fracture specifically because it has an issue with, with calcium. Not necessarily Calcium does not get absorbed by stomach acid or in the stomach. It actually gets absorbed in, I believe, these small intestines, if I'm not mistaken. And something with having lower stomach acid hinders this absorption of calcium in the small intestine. So it's not directly related to a decrease in calcium, but the amount of stomach acid, I guess, has some kind of relation or correlation with the amount of calcium being absorbed in the small intestine. So yeah. it affects it some kind of way, not directly, but indirectly. Yeah, and like also pneumonia risk. We usually look at pneumonia as if it's just a respiratory thing, right? But the stomach has, it's a host of a lot of bacteria. If acid levels are reduced enough by these PPIs, bacteria count can go up. Just, just we know, a lot of bacteria are opportunistic, correct? So when they travel up the esophagus, you are at risk of actually having them inhaled, which could go into the lungs, where actually could cause pneumonia. Mm -hmm. Just like, why do we get do oral care Q2? Because having a dirty damn mouth, if we don't you know, clean these patients' mouth, you are at risk of developing pneumonia. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just crazy how this correlation actually happens and we don't talk about it enough. Right. But we just put everybody on PPIs because it's standard protocol of you know ulcer prophylaxis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like in a hospital, you don't really see a lot of people developing in-hospital ulcers, right? You yeah. don't really see that very often. Unless you, you may see in like certain cases where people are like consistently on, on pressors, they're always acidotic, and you're trying to get them, get them back to that 7.3 by 7.45 pH state, and you, and you can. It's hard. That's when they start to develop these, these ulcers, and it's even when they're on, on PPIs. Yeah. So next one is, guys, is C. diff. Kind of same thing with, with pneumonia. Um, C. diff is a natural occurring, you know, bacterium in our, in our gut. But the issue is when it gets overpopulated, right? So they're saying that due to all this giant antibiotic use, plus a decrease in stomach acid, allows C. diff to, to thrive in this environment, which, which makes sense because you're giving your body a bunch of antibiotics, which are already disturbing your flora growth to begin with. And now you're messing with the pH of, of, your, of your gastric systems, and it's even messing with, with another thing. So you just keep messing with the body. You're changing up so much, so much things where something negative is bound to happen, yep. right? You keep messing with shit that you're not supposed to mess with, guess what? Some kind of negativity is gonna come out of that, you know? So you have to kind of be careful when you're giving people these PPIs, not just give everybody one 
prophylactically just because they're in the ICU, right? You yeah. have to have a more logical, more more systems approach than a kind of standard protocol with this. And, and that's the problem that, you know, a patient comes in, I have GERD. Well, the doctor's like, well, what am I going to do? I got him, I'm going to give him a PPI. And then there's these long-term side effects that we're exactly mm -hmm. talking about. Mm -hmm. Another one, iron and B12 deficiency, right? So you need stomach acids to actually break down these protein to actually help with mineral absorption. And if you don't have this, in return, there's a consequence, unintended, right? That prevents iron and B12 from being properly absorbed in the body. So we have a male absorption. I don't know how prevalent vitamin B12 is in our society, um, but if there's a lot of PPIs that are being taken in their top 10 uh, medications, I'm sure we could have, you know, an issue with this. Yeah, and with iron and B12, that all causes anemia, right? Yes. And I'm looking this up right now. It says 25% of the population is anemic. Wow. So why are, why are we given, let's say somebody has a high risk for anemia, why would, they, why would we give them a PPI if they have a high risk for anemia to begin with? If they have a higher risk for, for getting anemia than them developing gastric ulcers, why would we give them PPI? I don't think people go, I don't think physicians go that in depth. They don't look they, at that, they right? Don't, they don't. Because they got to cover their ass and it's just standard protocol because something happens, hey, why weren't they on PPI? Well, because of, because of this and this. No one's going to ask that question. They're just going to be like, you should have fucking done it. And that's the problem that we have these standards in the hospital that, let's just say, perfect, perfect part, you know, if somebody's not on a PPI and they develop an ulcer, that is the doctor's fault, right? Insurance is maybe not covered, the hospital has to cover because they weren't on a PPI. Therefore, we have all these protocols and we just put patients on these pills without ever like looking too much into things and whether there's any negative side effects. Mm -hmm. um, there's two studies with the whole PPI thing when it comes to iron deficiency and B12. One of them showed no risk association between past and short term. Another one actually showed a decreased risk of vitamin B12 deficiency after they discontinued PPIs. Mm -hmm. So both of them have conflicting results. I think we need more research, but it, it's, it's clearly showing that PPIs, when you look at the, um, like the mechanics of action, it does affect it when it leads to anemia. Yeah, long story short, guys, I think like us prescribing these protocols, these medications, yeah, they're great in certain situations, like the protocol for a STEMI or sepsis, those are great because those are shown to work consistently and if consistent and continually over time, right? That's always gonna, gonna be clutch. But these certain medications like these, like statins, maybe PPIs, medications like that, they're they kind of came out more recently and are being pushed on people as like standard medication for certain things. Those are still kind of on, on the fence because we don't really have that much years of of, exp of exploring these medications and their kind of outcomes, right? Because yeah. this medic this medical, this pharmaceutical industry, this pharmaceutical kind of lifestyle is something new. When we were younger like our parents weren't on the, like a lot of medications, right? Right. Now but now crazy. everyone's getting getting pushed for his medication, yeah. right? Every everyone's getting pushed on some kind of medication all the time. As soon as you come in for a, for a checkup, you're walk, probably walking out of out of there just with some kind of medication, right? Yeah. Your dad goes to see a see a doctor, he's probably gonna walk out with some meds. Right. My doc, my dad went to see a doctor first time in like you know five years, came out with like three meds. Boom, blood pressure, Business. give him a freaking statin because he's at risk. You know that's yeah. how it goes down. And if you have GERD, let's just say, and you're on a PPI and you're listening or you're taking tums, hey. What are the GERD triggers? Lose some weight, avoid smoking, mm. avoid alcohol, sleep at, a, at an incline if that's bro, uh, you know bothering you, avoid maybe citrus foods, eat less before bed, drink less coffee, tomato products of, of, um, affect that as well. And then maybe you can naturally prevent GERD instead of taking a PPI, which you don't need to. And there's no point of putting yourself at risk of all these, you know, 
uh, what is it called? Jeez, I'm blanking out These here. long-term effects. These long-term effects that we just discussed. Yeah, because when you think of like overdosing medication, you think of overdosing drugs, right? You right. think of opioid o overdose, but no one ever thinks of, hey, maybe you're taking too much of your PPI. And it's maybe, causing B12 issues. Right, maybe that's, that's what's stemming from it. You just, you just don't think of overdose and it causing this because when you think of overdose, you think of somebody dying of, of opioids or yes. some kind of meth or things like that. But people do overdose on these kind of prescription drugs and this leads to these kind of issues because they're on it long term. And hey, maybe you need to change, like Matt said, a few things out of your diet and guess what, your GERD would have been gone. But guess what, you didn't feel like it, you didn't even explore it, and now you've been taking this PPI for five years. And guess what, you've been taking it prophylactically, right? So you don't even know if you even still have GERD because yeah. your body changes over you're time, just, you're right? You're just taking it because it's a pill. Yeah, you're taking it because you don't want to You want to feel that feeling. But maybe you may have that GERD for that one year because you're going through a lot of stress, right? Yeah. And guess what, years two through five, you your body hasn't been developing GERD, but you have been taking this PPI unnecessarily so but but the PI is still doing it doing what it's programmed to do right yeah I, I yeah we're wrapping this up guys because our clean ladies here yeah the clean lady is waiting for us to get in the damn house to clean and we're still recording a podcast that's episode so, so that's a wrap thank you guys if it was a little bit rushed sorry sorry about that and we love challenging the status quo so we'll keep on creating this content on different um, topics to see our episodes works. are like fine wine they get better with time exactly see you guys next okay. week Peace.